Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. My name is Nathan. I, uh, I've been at Westside for, for 12 years. Uh, it's my home. It's where I uh, have raised my, my kids. And I'm super happy to be sharing uh, this Old, Old Testament stories with you today. And we're doing Old Testament summer stories. And when I agreed to this, I thought that, hey, I, I've, I've spoken at Westside many times. This is going to be an easy thing to prepare. I know the stories well. Old Testament stories are really hard to study. So, so please have mercy on me. If I am, I, I actually, you know what, before I forget, I'm going to start the timer on my watch because I think the big challenge is there's so many, much to these stories that to finish everything and to squeeze everything in the, on time um, is, is going to be difficult. Um, there's a lot of context, a lot of backstory to explain. It's almost like trying to explain uh, sometimes like a, some, a, an epic story like Lord of the Rings to people and be like, oh, it, but then this hobbit did this thing and then this person did this and then, then this thing was actually the ring that goes there and, and it's super complicated sometimes. And even the simple stuff sometimes can be contentious. Um, I, uh, uh, I, I apologize in advance if I'm telling the story and I leave out some of your favorite parts. Um, I, I really, I, I mean, I, I'm not doing it on purpose. There's just a lot to do. Um, even the simplest stories can be complex, and sometimes there's some stuff in the stories that are, that are difficult to understand. Um, here, case in point, you guys know the story of Noah? Maybe I'll show this. I have a picture of a toy. Uh, yeah, no, this, this is very, you might have played with this. Your kids might have played with something like this. This is a simple story, right? You know, the, the, there's the, the, the people did bad things. God's going to wipe them out. There's going to be a boat, and there's boat animals on the boat, and Noah's going to do some great things. I got into an argument with a barber in Calgary about this story. Um, <laughs> And, and, and the thing is, when you're arguing with your barber, you can't be too forceful because they have scissors near your face. But, um, but, he's, uh, but this Muslim man was like, you, the Bible is clearly, clearly wrong. Because did you know that in the Bible it says that Noah, when after this, this uh, thing happened, he planted a vineyard, grew some gra- grapes, made some wine, and got drunk. I'm like, yes, that's what the story says in the Bible. Like, well, it's clearly wrong because Noah's a prophet. He knew, never would have done those things. Like, okay, so you don't agree with drinking, so you need to pull that story out. And, and he couldn't believe in the Bible because of some of the disagreeable things that someone in the Bible was doing. And I hadn't even thought about how, you know, I've been, if you just saw the world get wiped out, maybe you'd want to have a drink too. I, I guess that's <laughs> maybe normal. But, but, um, but, but, but so, so when we look at the story, sometimes we, we sometimes when we look at this, these stories, we, we, we find ourselves shaken up by the contents of it. And, and then when you look at the Old Testament, we see lots of different things. And I, I made a quick list of what we find when we look in the Old Testament. Um, we find three things. We find humans to learn from and not always heroes to emulate. I hope you don't want to leave here today at the end of the story. I'm going to talk, tell you the story of Gideon from Judges. And I hope you don't leave here being like, I want to be like Gideon. That's not the point. But we can learn a lot from him. And I think we can learn a lot about, uh, they're not necessarily heroes. And when we're in Sunday school, if, we, if you grew up in the church, you might have this experience of, 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 of hearing about these people in the Old Testament. And, and they were all painted often with, 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 in, in a good light. They're not shown, you don't see their, their, the, the gray areas of their personalities. But these are real humans. And I find comfort in the fact that Noah was a bit trauma, traumatized because it gives me permission to be human as well and realize that God works even through regular humans that, that live through difficult things. 
Uh, we also find stories that resonate with the people of that time. So part of the challenge of reading the Old Testament is that it's not necessarily written for us. The people that first read these stories a thousand, thousands of years ago didn't say, oh, I bet you this will really resonate on the West Island in, in 2023. Um, I really hope that the, in, in, like the, the digital era will get a lot out of this story about a calf being sacrificed. Um, it doesn't work that way. It's written for that time, it's written for that place, and part of the challenge of the Old Testament is taking these stories and putting them in our time and how we understand what it means to us today. And finally, and this is something that's amazing about studying the Old Testament, is that in the Old Testament, you can see how, you can, get, you can find clues of how God works through history. If you look at the New Testament, you, you see the life of Jesus, which is a small cut of world history, a, a span of, you know, and the followers after Jesus, so maybe a span of 100-something years of history. If you look at the Old Testament, you see thousands of years of God intervening in history. And we can get clues of how God works throughout people and how God works not just with individuals one-on-one, -on -one, but over a large, a long period of time. So where do we start? Well, I needed to give some context. We're going to talk today about uh, a man named Gideon and what his, his, uh, his experience with God was and, and how God used him in a powerful way. But to get there, I need to give you a bit of context. So where are, we, where, where are we historically in the story of Gideon? We're in the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is placed in uh, a section of the Bible uh, between when the, the, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt and, the, and King David being the first king of the monarchy of Israel. So there's, a, there's, a span, there's an area between the two where um, Moses comes, he frees the Israelites from, from Egypt. They go um, through the desert and wander for years and years and years. And then they finally settle in Israel. And what is only one book in the Bible, if you ask archaeologists and historians, is about a 340-year time span. So over these 340 years, we have... You know, about 20 chap you know, about, you know, about 20 chapters of the Bible that kind of gives us some indication of what happened in that, in that span, time span. So there's a lot of like, well, what happened during those years? Well, we know some things, and we know some, 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 uh, some details about how they lived, but what we don't know necessarily is, um, you know, what God was doing in this, except for the clues we get in Judges. The last root leader after the Israelites leave Egypt was a man named Joshua. And Joshua, before the period of Judges, got all the people together that were, uh, that were you know, old enough to know what was going on. And he had them make a promise. And, and I, I have this promise written out here so that you guys can read along. This is in Joshua 24, but you also find it in Judges later. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. So one of the last leaders after the exodus, Joshua has this, um, this, this, uh, th these laws that he shares with the people, and he says, okay, people, now that we're in this promised land, follow, serve the Lord, 
reject the, the false gods of the people that are living around you and that some of your forefathers uh, were worshiping, and, and, and you guys are going to be okay. And actually, there's a promise linked with that. There's a covenant. So it's a deal that he ma- they make with God. And, and God says to them, you, you guys follow these commands, and in exchange, I will chase away the people living in this land like a hornet chases away a person. And if you've seen my, 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 uh, my daughter run away from wasps, you know it involves some screaming and some yelling and, some, ah! and, 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 and escape. Um, but, but that, so, so this beautiful image of God actually chasing away your opponents, his, their opponents and their enemies as they work at serving God. And then the people say, yes, we will do that. We will follow. And then immediately don't. <laughs> so, so the story of Judges is very much how people promise one thing, do one thing, and then very shortly after, stop following God and, and start following the, 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 airy, the, the, the traditions and practices of the people who lived around them. Um, because following God can be complicated and difficult. And following God in a place where everyone around you is doing something different than you makes it even harder. I think some of, you, we, some of us know that. So the story of Gideon starts um, in the hill countries of Israel. Um, Israel is, is, has mountainous areas, but also has more agricultural areas that are lower down. And the richest land where that you can plant and grow things is regularly getting attacked by Midianites. Now, Midianites in this story, in the story of Gideon, are people who ride in nomads from the desert, riding on camels, if you guys can Im- picture the image. And they would come and they would raid and they would take whatever crops, whatever livestock, whatever people would have that could be not like... Uh, that could be packed up on a camel and taken away, they would, they would take. And if they couldn't be kept packed on a camel, they would burn it and destroy it and kill it. And uh, they were described like locusts that would come and ravage the land. And the story starts with a man probably up in the hill country where it's a bit safer. He's threshing wheat, which means he's, he's taking his wheat and he's knocking, the, trying to get the grains off and getting rid of the chaff. Oh, take a minute. Yeah. And, uh, okay. and, uh, and so, so he's doing that, but he's doing it in a, in a wine press. He's doing it hidden because he's worried that the Midianites might spot him if he did it anywhere else. So he's, he's in, in hiding, taking care of wheat. And this is pretty much how I'm going to start the story. I'm going to try to tell the story, the whole thing. There's three chapters, and I'm not going to read it all. So if you guys have your Bibles and want to follow along, I would suggest... Judges 6 to, as a starting point. We're going to cover a bit of 6, a bit of 7, a bit of 8, a bit of 9. But if I was to read the whole thing, my time would be up before we even got there. So we're going to try to just really motor through and, and, and kind of understand what God's trying to tell us through this passage. So he's in the hill country. He's in hiding, trying to deal with wheat. And wheat, when you're taking, when you're taking off the chaff, gets everywhere. So he's probably itchy, and he's uncomfortable, and he's in hiding. And, and it's been seven years that these Midianites have been coming and, and, and destroying and taking everything. And in that moment, Gideon is afraid. And that's where he starts. The first part of the story is Gideon is afraid. And he's afraid of everything, but he's afraid specifically of, 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 uh, of losing. And we find out later that he, he's lost uh, siblings uh, to, this, uh, to these Midianites. And an angel of the Lord appears to Gideon and says, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon gives to him probably one of the most human answers we can find in the Old Testament. He says, Pardon me, my Lord. Gideon replied, But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where 
are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. Can you hear in that his despair? Can you hear his upsetness? Can you hear how he, do- he doubts seriously that God is with him? The angel, the messenger, replies to him and says, well, I'm sending you to fix this. And Gideon says, well, I'm too weak to do it. I can't do it. I'm one of the weakest. But, then he's, but, then, but, God, but the, God, through this angel, says, but I'll, I'll be with you. I'll go help. Gideon says, I don't believe you. <laughs> Give me a sign. Prove to me that you'll be with me. And so he says, stay right here. I'm going to go get a sacrifice like we would do when we, do, when we worship God. And we're going to get some, so he got some stuff together. He got some grain. He got some beef broth. He got some meat. He made an altar and he put it on a rock. And the angel, the messenger, touched the rock with his rod and whoosh, massive fire burns everything up. Gideon at this moment, still afraid, freaks out. I've seen God. I'm going to die. And the angel says, don't worry, you're not going to die. And at that moment, he realized that God was really interested in being with him. So his faith, his fear, which is like down here, grows a little bit. And he says that very night, the angel, the messenger of God says, go to your dad's house your dad has this altar to a fake god named Baal and a giant Asherah pole where people come to religious rituals. Um, the fertility goddess that everybody in that neighborhood in Canaan worshipped. And his dad has this in his house. And the angel says, go burn it down, make an altar of it. And Gideon, in this moment, this high of having God just showed up in, in his house, says, okay, I'm going to do it. At night, in the dark, when no one can possibly see me. And it's in this fear that he gathers some of his servants together. And he goes and does it. He does what God asks him to do in hiding, hoping that no one ever finds out. How many of us like, are like that? I feel like I'll, I'll do the right thing, but as long as I don't get the attention, no one knows that it's me. And it's, no, like, there's this fear of being found out. Of, and sure enough, people find out. They ask the servants, who, hey, who tore down this altar? And who broke this? Oh, it was Gideon. Okay, let's kill him. Thank, thankfully for Gideon, his dad, who had some sense to him, says, hey, for one, it's my altar. <laughs> I had built it. And for two, if, if Baal is a real god, let Baal deal with Gideon. And at that moment, Gideon was kind of saved from the tension of that moment. And, he, and his faith, I believe, grew just a little bit there. And the next time that the Midianites came into town, they had the Amalekites with them, another group of, 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 of raiders. They would come into town. They were numerous like the locusts, and they'd arrived in. Gideon, it says, the Bible says, was filled with the Spirit and is, and is, asked, and is asked to just go and be sent out and, 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 and gather the troops. So he, he grabs, grabs a horn, and he starts blowing his horn. I don't know how, I don't know how these things work. They sent messengers to people. And basically, there's 30,000 people that come to Gideon's call to say, Hey, we're going to we're going to go take out these we're going to go take out these these Midianites, and he forms an army. So 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 yeah, he's becoming that mighty warrior. Before the battle, before he even goes out to war, he's talking with the messenger of God again, and he's like, Hey, hey, um, if if you want me to do this, I need a sign again. <laughs> He's afraid again. A second time. I need a sign again. Here, I have this wool fleece. I'm going to leave it on the ground. 
and I'm going to make, and, and God, if you really want me to attack this, if you really want me to get, do this battle, I would like it for um, this to be wet and everything else to be dry. I want this to be full of dew, like in the morning when you know we wake up, you go outside, there's some water on the ground. Yeah, I want this to be wet from that and everything else to be dry. And God, I don't know why, puts up with him. I feel like at this point, um, you know, if I, I feel like if we lived like this, I don't know if it would work the same way. Hey, God, do you want me to go to Tim Hortons or Wendy's today? I'm going to flip a coin. And if it's, like, it's like, I think some people have this kind of view of God as like this, uh, you know, this magic eight ball that kind of tells you what you need or this idea that God is going to like give you signs for everything. But at this point, God gives him a sign. And sure enough, this miraculous thing happens where everything is dry except the one wool fleece that is wet. And he's like, okay, good, good. God, I need another sign. <laughs> Again, he's afraid. Again, he's unsure. And he's like, don't be angry with me. He starts his sentence like this. Don't be angry with me, God. Please, this time, could you have the wool fleece be dry and everything else be wet? And God does it again. And I find this really interesting because, because I, I think that um, Gideon is in some ways testing God, seeing if God really wants to do the things that he wants, that God, that God, you know, that, that, uh, that, um, that you know, God really wants to use Gideon the way that he, he's saying he will. God has this purpose and this plan for Gideon's life. And Gideon needs this reassurance from God that he, he's going to be able to do it. And in this situation, God does this, this, reassuring, this reassuring thing. God does these miracles to show. I haven't been part of too many miracles in my life, but I have one. I might have told it, told it to you before, but I, I, for many of you, it's probably a new story. I was in, um, I was in, in, at CJEP at John Abbott. I was part of the University Christian Fellowship Group. I was involved with my youth group at church. I, was, I had too much on my plate. I was involved at a youth group, um, uh, and I also was doing volunteer work at a um, drop-in center on St. Charles for, for youth. And, um, and I was volunteering there, and I, and I was in CJEP. My parents moved away, so inconsiderate of them, to Calgary and left me here to finish my studies. And during my studies, I had this decision to make, hey, I need to pay room and board. I need a job. So I told my, my, my boss at the drop-in center, hey, I can't work for you anymore. I need to, do, I need to go and, and, and do this. Uh, I need to go and, and, and get a job because I need to pay room and board. And my boss said, hey, how about you raise your own support? How about you ask if, you know, how about you become staff here and you ask people to support you so you can continue doing this ministry? And I said, okay, I'll do it if God provides. And I asked a few people. I got a little bit of money, but really not enough to pay room and board. And the first month I was working there, I had this doubt. Hey, God, do you really want me to work here or you don't want me to work here? And it was one of those moments, a bit like this wool fleece. I'm like, God, if you want me to work here, this money needs to show up. If you don't want me to work here, then I'm just gonna, it's fine. The money won't show up and I'll just get a job. Uh, it was a, a Monday morning. I come into the InterVarsity Fellowship room at John Abbott, and we had this wall of, like, cubbies. But instead of cubbies, we, had, we didn't even have cubbies. We had, like, these, plot, these paper envelopes with our names written on them with Sharpie on the wall. And on the Monday morning, I come in, and there's an envelope with my name on it in my cubby with 300 bucks in it. And um, anonymously, 
I found out later that it was from someone who had just been praying and God had placed in their, in their, on their hearts to give me money for no reason. They didn't even know what I was doing. It was just like this random thing and they were obedient and gave it. And it was like, wow, God showed up and confirmed something that I'm like, oh, okay. But does, is he going to do that for everything? I don't know if God does that for everything. And, and we don't see very many stories like this in the Bible, but God really wants to deliver his people. God really wants for his purposes to be accomplished. And if Gideon is so afraid that he needs to be reassured two times, a third time if we count earlier when he was convinced it wasn't even God with him, then God will do it. Because he, his purposes, he, want, he wants to deliver his people. And if Gideon's all he has to deal with, to do it with, he's going to use Gideon despite the fact that he's a coward and that he's asking over and over again. So God puts up with the testing. And if you're in a situation where you really want God, you feel like God's putting something in your heart and you're afraid and you're scared. And if you don't know, don't hesitate to go to God and ask. Because yes, he might put up with you. He might. He might. There's, I can't promise you. I, every, every situation's different, but I do believe, and this is an example from, of God showing up and, 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 and providing in a way that's, I think, phenomenal. So Gideon obeys. And when he says... Um, when, when, when Gideon says to God, if you, save, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you've promised, do this, this, and this, God answers. But then the tables are turned and God starts testing Gideon. I think this is, I think the most interesting part of the story in my mind is that, yes, he puts up with Gideon being like, please, God, please, can you show me? Can you show me? At one point, he has his big army the Midianites are in the valley. He's ready to go attack. And God, the Lord says, and this is in, in Judges 7, the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water. I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one goes with you, you shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. See, what ha- what's happening is there's this huge army, 30,000 Israelites ready to go, go to battle and follow Gideon into battle. And God says to Gideon, if these guys go and win this battle, they'll think they're the best in the world. And they'll think that nothing can stop them. And that they don't even need God at all. So he says to them, to, to, he says to Gideon, Gideon, send away any of them who are afraid. And 20,000 of them leave. And when he has about 12,000 left, he says, hey, let's go down to the water and I'm going to sift them out again. And, uh, and through a series of, 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 of tests, basically, um, they're drinking water, and, Gideon, and God says to Gideon, okay, take just these ones who drink in a funny way. And he ends up with like 300 soldiers left. So he goes from 30,000 to 300. 1% of his starting army is what he has left after Gideon um, uh, obeys. So his faith that had grown through all these miraculous interventions is tested even more. You want to go to battle? Great. I'm going to use you to deliver the people of Israel. But you're not going to do it with an army of 30,000 that you've gathered. I want you to just take 300. I want you to make it even harder. Make it impossible. So that if it succeeds, we know that God did the work. That God was that hornet chasing away the armies. Why would God do that? Why would he make it harder to follow? Why would he make it, why would he make it more difficult? Why would he make it impossible? Well, before I get to the why, I think we need to think of, like, does he do that for us? I think, yeah. If we look at what the Bible asks us to do, 
And if we were serious about following everything that's written in this book, we'd realize pretty quick that doing the things that God asks us to do is impossible without him being with us. You want to you want God to guide you into being, uh, you know, you're in the business world, you're working at a job, you want God to guide you to, be, to give him glory in that situation, try to do it without the forces of cheating, of manipulating, of being a, a bully. God takes away those tools, those armies from you. Try to do it without lying, without stealing. Those are tools that God takes away that makes your life harder. It'd be so easy sometimes to live like everyone else does. But if we were to follow the Bible, suddenly it's harder. How, how can we be a good um, parent? Well, sometimes, if we want to do it like the book tells us to do it, to be uh, one who models the model of God, uh, showing forgiveness, trying to um, ask for forgiveness when you mess up, well, I'm afraid it might make me look like a, a wimp, but well, the Bible gives you this example of, of God. Um, if you, you know, we live in a constant state of fear of missing out uh, in our society. It's something that, that I think is, we're, we're afraid that if we do the things that God wants us to do, the way he wants us to do them, we're going to miss out on a lot of things that God, uh, that, that, that God doesn't want us to do. Hey, you know, going to get married and live with the same person for the rest of your life? How is that going to satisfy you? The society says that to you. Well, maybe, maybe it seems impossible in the eyes of this world, but it glorifies God, and he will be with you in that. And it becomes this beautiful testimony of something, yeah, it may be impossible without God. That's fine, because God can satisfy. And there's this idea that our faith is tested by the things that God asks us to do. And, 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 and sometimes the limitations he puts on us are not limitations, but blessings that help us realize that he is the one, ultimately, that, um, that gives us this, uh, this challenge to be um, ones that follow him in everything. So Gideon does that. He, 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 he strips out 99% of his army, sends them home, and he um, decides to follow what God's plan is. And his plan ends up being this thing where they take these torches and hide them in lamps and then in the middle of the night break lamps and then charge out into, uh, and make a bunch of noise. And then the people panic and the, the Midianites panic and they start like, like fighting each other. Then they all flee. And in a miraculous way, without even them really engaging in battle, the 300 beat the, the, the countless horde of Midianites in, in a miraculous way. And um, we see that God uses um, Midian, uh, Gideon to beat the Midianites. But he does it in his way, in a way that only God could get credit for. Do we want to live lives that, God give, that, that, gives, that gives God the glory? Or do you want to live lives that, that give us the glory? Do you want to be self-made men? Or do you want to be people that God has made? into what we are today. Gideon has this decision to make, and um, he wins this battle, and he, the people are delivered. During his lifetime, 
There's no, there are no more, there, there's no more invasions by Amalekites or Midianites, and they live in a period of peace for about, you know, for years and years and years. But Gideon falls apart. That's part three of the story. Um, it's when everything goes well that you, he, he kind of falls into the same patterns that his father had before him. He, he, uh, he doesn't become king, and this is the next little passage here. He doesn't become king, but he says, hey, all that gold that you guys got from like, t- taking, taking out the Midianites, uh, let's make, a, let's make a, a golden ephod, like this kind of like, like a priestly garment that we're going to place up and we're going to worship that instead. And you're going to see, and you see in, in, you know, that uh, Gideon made the, t- took all the gold that he had, made an ephod, placed it in his town, and all Israel prostituted themselves there by worshiping it. And, uh, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. So he went right back to being a religious leader for a false god of his own choosing. The Bible says that he then went on to have 70 kids with multiple different wives. And then one of his concubines in a city named Shechem becomes a villain later in the story by like making himself king and killing all his other kids. And it's just this vicious, disgusting end to the story. So you see that in some ways, the, some of the challenge isn't necessarily getting to that victory and that deliverance. It's, are you going to stay there? Are you going to fall back into patterns? Sometimes it's easier in the struggle than when everything is going well. And I think there's something to be there, but I'm going to, that's a whole other story that I, I don't want to get to too much. But I want to finish on one thing. And it's part of the story that I think that really resonated with me as I was studying it. Um, so just jumping back a little bit, um, Gideon is, a, is sitting uh, uh, with his army. It's the dark of night, the night before the battle, when he's only had his 300 men, and there's a countless horde in front of him. God speaks to him and says, and it says, during the night, this is the, the last verse I have up in the, on the slides. During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you're afraid to attack... I mean, and I really want you to stick on this. If you're afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant, Pura, and listen to what they're saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Um, and there's a whole section where he goes down and, there's, and he hears from the voice of his enemies that he's going to win this battle in a miraculous way. But what I love about this little section is that even though he's had sign after sign after sign, wolf flees, altars catching fire, father saving him from being killed by the, his, his, his villagers. Uh, God is speaking to him and, and whittling down these numbers to have just these 300 people. He's, if he's still, a, but God knows, and if I, I love this, God knows that he still might have that fear. And he says, even now, if you're afraid, let me give you this one more sign. And Gideon doesn't ask for this sign. It's like God knows the fear that's in his heart. And God knows he needs that one last little bit of reassurance. I don't know what you guys are going through or what God's placed on your heart, but if your designs, if what God has placed on your heart aligns, if God wants something in your life, wants you to grow in generosity, in your parenting, in your work life, in your relationship with your friends, if God wants you to reach out to your neighbors and is placing something on your heart and you're afraid, God knows your fear. And I love this, because this, again, the story is all, the overarching story in, in Gideon. Gideon isn't necessarily the hero to be emulated. But the, in the overarching story, we see the God who knows his cowardly servant and regularly reassures him. And even in the moment when the battle's about to happen, he still says, hey, if you're afraid still, I have one more sign for you. Just go and see. God knows him to the point of going to help him. And God knows you 
the point of helping you where you're at at, the, at, at this moment. So I don't know what your fears are, but I, I would love for you to take this moment. I'm going to pray for, for, for us all. I'm going to take this moment to think of the fears that God is, that, that God is trying to, 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 to shake you out of. And, um, and let, invite him to come and encourage and, and uh, be with you through them. And maybe even give you that sign that you might need. Lord, uh, I thank you for this, um, this challenging passage. I thank you for this example of a man who was way out of his depth in a situation that he was not necessarily prepared for, but you used anyway. And we might be feeling today like you've prepared us for something that, uh, um, that we don't have the resources for, that we don't have the truth. And maybe, Lord, even doing it your way seems even harder. But God, be with us in our fears. Be with us uh, as we struggle. And let us trust you, God. Remind us again and again of your goodness to us, your faithfulness, and your desire to deliver us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace.